Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Ross, uh, welcome to the Arate podcast. In fact, uh, welcome to Arate, even though uh, it's been, I guess, about two months uh, since you joined Good Ship Arate. It's great to have you on the podcast so that people can learn a bit about you and your background, and what makes this guy tick, and uh, what you're excited about in terms of your future, not only with Arate, but outside of Arate. So, uh, Ross, might get you to just sort of introduce yourself and uh, let's start by talking a little bit about your professional background uh, prior to, uh, to joining Arate. Right. So, um, for, uh, you know, my background is really in IT. Um, I've spent the um, last 30 odd years of my life in an IT career, um, living in about five countries and working in about 15. Uh, so, Last 20 years of that have been mainly in uh, global consulting roles with people like PwC and IBM and a couple of other smaller smaller companies. So I've um, done very large digital transformations uh, here in Australia for companies like Westpac and Woodside and Chevron and uh, Vodafone and, and so on. And... Uh, the sort of beginning of this year, I decided I'd like to pull back from all that sort of coalface IT transformation stuff and flying all over the world as I, as I was doing and um, see what else I might like to, like to do. And uh, it did dawn on me at that point that over my career, I've probably recruited about a thousand people mm-hmm. and helped those folks, you know, develop their careers and so on. So uh, I'd heard that um, that various people actually do this for a living. So uh, <laughs> I thought I might, uh, I might go, and, go and see what that was all about. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I'd come out of my university degree and looking at these recruiters and going, wow, like they must, they must be so smart. And they, you know, to have this position of recruiting, what a, you know, what a tremendous honour and a tremendous uh, responsibility. And then uh, when I actually decided seriously about becoming a recruiter, um, I still kind of held on to this belief. And then, of course, you come into recruitment and you realise that, uh, uh, you know, it's such a homogenous industry. There's so many people in the industry who are, you know, underwhelming. There are some excellent recruiters, but uh, it is an industry that is compared uh, regularly with being a used car salesperson. And uh, I think that a lot of recruiters, um, you know, have brought that upon themselves. But, you know, for somebody of your your considerable uh, experience and um, global responsibility and so on, you know, um, to make a decision uh, at this point in your life to, you know, essentially have a substantive uh, career shift other than, you know, uh, you didn't want to do all this international travel anymore. And I suppose good timing just pre COVID. Um, what, what was it that excited you about coming into this space? Because I imagine you could have gone and done many things at that time. 
Yeah, so I guess, you know, what I really looked at was what are the things, you know, if I, if I took this sort of the IT lens off, off it and I took the, you know, the, the, nerdy, the nerdiness sort of lens off this and, and looked at what were the actual um, human interaction things, you know, that I really, really enjoyed, it was, I guess, two, two things. One was, you know, working with um, extremely talented uh, C-suite and upper management folks, and I, and I think I've, you know, I've definitely worked with some of the best in Australia and, and globally. And, and then secondly, the other one was, you know, that this, this aspect of, of helping people develop their careers and helping them achieve what they want to achieve next in, in their career space. And so when I realised that, it was, I mean, recruiting was really the first thing that came to my mind. As you said, you know, I could have thought about, um, you know, a board career. I could have thought about, and I've, and I've done quite a lot of consulting, um, you know, through my own companies as well. Could have thought about extending that. But, um, you know, I, I really thought it was probably time for me to, come step back from the coalface and, and deal with people as, and also um, spend more time uh, in this country, spend more time particularly um, in Brisbane, my hometown. Uh, my wife uh, is, a, is a GP here. She has a very, a very um, busy business as a GP and, uh, you know, to be able to support her uh, by being here just a little bit more often was uh, was very appealing. Oh, good. And Ross, uh, are you born and bred Brisbane? Absolutely, born and bre born and bred. Went to um, went to QIT when it was QIT. Ah, uh, yes. And, uh, uh, and what was it uh, when you were at high school? What did you want to be when you grew up? So, when I was at high school, um, I was the kind of person that um, the guidance officer said you can do whatever you want and uh, and literally I could um, so I did the smart thing and um, picked the most intelligent girl that I knew and, <laughs> and did what she did right and uh, she decided to do computer science at QIT right and we'd done a little bit of programming in uh, in grade 11 so uh, that suited me fine, and uh, off we went, and we we uh, we graduated university, um, you know, by the age of twenty. Right. Um, <laughs> I presume you're talking about your wife. I am not. Oh, you're not. Ah. No, I'm not. The I'm lady that came before your wife. I'm talking about the lady who um, who I'd known since primary school, and then and actually ended up being my wife's bridesmaid. <laughs> introduced me to my wife. Oh, that's excellent. And so, um, and so, uh, I remember the uh, old QIT days because I remember a similar vintage. And so, uh, you completed your degree. You're 20 years old, and yep. then uh, off you went on this uh, adventure around the world and working in technology and and so on. Yeah. So, um, went uh, my first job out of out of uni was writing code for the Queensland TAB. Right. The, Horse racing people over at uh, over at Albion, and I'm, I'm told that 
some of the code that I wrote there in the 80s actually still runs every Saturday. Wow. The testament to if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but by the time we were about 25, um, I, I, I got married um, at 19, would you believe? Um, by the time I was 24 or so, um, we'd already had three children, um, bought a house, done all that stuff and decided we'd go and live um, overseas. So I um, went and actually planned to, to move to the UK, but things being what they are, the, um, the contract I received was actually in, uh, in Holland. So we moved literally from Brisbane to a place called Leiden in, in the Netherlands mm -hmm. um, and uh, then spent 13 years after that moving from there to Brussels to Zurich and ending up in New York. And uh, of those various places that you've lived around the world, which did you enjoy the most? Uh, look, New York is still very much second home to us. Mm -hmm. um, we lived outside in, in Connecticut, but, uh, you know, I worked in, in Midtown. Um, you know, still very much a New York Yankees fan um, and uh, still, you know, whenever we can get to New York, we, we, always, we always do that. It is really still very much our second home. Brussels was also excellent. It was a great expatriate community in Brussels. And, you know, for example, our kids um, learned to play baseball in Brussels. Right. Among 600 kids, all, all you know, um, children of American expats, essentially, in Brussels, we had 600 kids playing Little League Baseball, which was just, you know, just amazing. And what, uh, I know that you've mentioned a few times, but I can't remember, you had some claim to fame, uh, you know, you were on the Brussels cricket team, or uh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, so, well, you know, I was, uh, I captained QIT's 11 for, for many, many years. Um, and play cricket, you know, for the TAB and what have you. So, got to Brussels, and there was a there was a fairly vibrant cricket um, competition going on in Brussels. So, I played for the Royal Brussels Cricket Club. Uh, we did play some games against Luxembourg, um, which made it international, um, and we did play a couple of games against the uh, the French second eleven, which was. Uh, it's a pretty handy side, actually. Okay, all right. Uh, but at no point you thought you wanted to be a professional cricketer. No, 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 no. Ne never, never got anywhere near uh, those uh, levels of levels of competition. Those this, lofty heights. No, uh, those lofty heights. This was just fun. Although I must admit, um, in the early days, my wife was very much a cricket widow. Uh, right. For, for many years, you know, mm. when bringing up the young ones. <laughs> and so you mentioned, uh, obviously, working with uh, these uh, amazing global companies running these massive projects. What's a couple of examples of some of the projects that uh, you're involved in uh, that you're most proud of? Yeah, so, I mean, really the, the ones in Australia um, are, are standouts. Um, so... I don't know if you you'll you have heard all the new hype about 5G and and you know all about 4G obviously, but cast your mind back to Australia's first 3G um, company, which was called Three. Mm 
Um, we did, and I, I managed all of the systems integration for the build out of, of that company. So that was about uh, about $30 million worth of consulting work, I guess. Mm-hmm. We then went on and did Vodafone and, and so on. Um, more recently, uh, for Osgrid, which is Sydney's version of you know, electrical distribution. And around 2010, we did Australia's first smart grid program, where we actually put instrumentation into the uh, transformers and actually built a a smart grid that you could remotely monitor and analyze, um, you know, and and now we've got, you know, Zikki talking to home home devices and all that. We did all the... um, all the original sort of feasibility studies for that about 10 years ago, which was fun. And then I guess most recently would be um, Chevron over on the West Coast. Um, If you still think that the NBN is Australia's biggest capital project, um, it wasn't. It was Chevron's Gorgon project, which is about $70 billion where they had to build, actually build a new port on an island and build all the rigs and, and the LNG trains and all that stuff. We did all of the systems integration again for for those projects. There are about three of them. That was about $200 million worth of work at IBM, uh, which are very large ones, obviously. And then one more recently that I, I guess I'm most proud of was I got asked to do Woodside's next generation data and analytics strategy. And to be asked to do that is, is pretty amazing because Woodside are right at the bleeding edge of that stuff already. Mm-hmm. So to be asked to come in and say, where should we go next? And, and how can you help you know, the C-suite understand that and move forward? That was, uh, that was quite an honor, really. Mm. It, uh, they sound like highly complex and very challenging, uh, you know, responsibilities. And yet here you are now, and uh, you know, helping a not-for-profit in Glaston to find a new CEO, or helping a ASX listed company in Brisbane to uh, find a new non-executive director. So, uh, yeah, you know, the the complexity of our life seems to have uh, somewhat diminished. Well. I, I guess it has, but but the uh, the flip side is that the diversity of of you know the both the companies I'm dealing with, uh, the kind of people that I'm dealing with, has has really expanded. So, you know, I'm not just talking to uh, you know to the chief nerd anymore. I'm you know, I'm uh, talking to, for example, you know, as you say, in you know, in a not for profit. Talking to board um, a board chairman whose um, experiences in disability services and aged care services, and you know, and is a lovely lady, and uh, and and needs help with with building out her team just as much as anybody else. So um, I, I think the uh, the diversity of of that, and uh, just the people that I've met through you know the forums that we run and um, you know the the recruiting opportunities is is making is it's making my life richer absolutely. Oh, that's excellent. And um, so you've been with Arashay now for you know two two three months. 
uh, started to get into the whole swing of uh, what we do and how we operate and so on. So looking out towards the future, um, you know, in your mind, what is it that you're hoping to achieve? And uh, where do you want to position yourself in the market and who are the kind of people you'd like to help? Um, well, how do you envisage, say, the next 12 to 24 months playing out? So I think there's definitely, um, you know, and, and we've spoken about this, but there's definitely an opportunity for Arate to move more into the technology spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, and I'd include, um, you know, information technology, education technology, med tech, fintech, biotech, you know, all, all, of, all of the technologies. I know that um, that Arate has already done quite a bit of work in that space, but I, but I think there's a definite um, opportunity to, to focus more on that. Mm-hmm. We've had um, we've had a number of the people who sit in Arate's champions forums, which are you know great executive peer networking scenarios, um, say to me. Hey, it's really interesting to have a technology person on board because the sort of um, forums that we have around around champions and around how we how we do our day to day role, uh, we could also actually use some forums around the technology side and mm. have a have a, a trusted board there where we can ask that board some questions, you know, of a technical nature. Mm. Uh, so I think there's definitely some opportunities there um, to to sort of help those folks and focus a bit more on the on the tech side, and then um, you know the model that is growing here, where most of the business does come through um, through past candidates, most of the business does come through. The network and those, you know, those C-suite folks in the Champions Forum. Uh, there's actually opportunities to um, to grow that and and to make that bigger. I think both um, through different industry segments and um, broader across, you know, across Australia. I know we do a lot of work in in Melbourne, Sydney, and some in Perth now, but there's definitely, I think, more opportunity to um, to replicate and and seed that model further in in across the geographies mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with all of that and uh, it'd be fair to say that I'm a technological gumby so uh, uh, it's excellent to have somebody on the team that can you know talk that talk because that's not me uh, and, you know, one of the things that I get asked all the time, so it'd be interesting, Ross, for you to sort of share your opinion about this, you know, candidates coming to me literally on a daily basis. Oh, Richard, what's the market like? Um, uh, you know, what, what, what's my likelihood of achieving, you know, the kind of roles that I'm hoping for and so on? How would you describe, you know, the employment market within that space, but more broadly at the moment, Ross? Yeah, so with, I, get, I guess within um, within the technology spaces, um, particularly IT, uh, I think it's quite challenged at the moment. Um, you know, the, the reality is that 
everybody from the travel, tourism, hospitality, you know, all of those industries and a number of other industries, by the way, you know, in Australia, all those folks are essentially on the market, um, which is which is quite challenging. Uh, there are a number of um, businesses who, even outside of those industry spaces, who have pulled back investments and so on. So I think um, as we start to come out of COVID, um, we're going to see a couple of things there. We're going to see, obviously, a lot of those companies coming back and that's starting to happen. Um, definitely seeing a lot of a lot of activity, particularly in the Sydney market, um, around you know um, people making investments and starting to make investments. But also, I think there's a lot of um, people who will use this as an opportunity, right, to either to move into a different industry uh, within technology. Um, or to even pivot beyond technology um, into into some other spaces. Mm. More, more broadly, um, you know, I'm seeing what you're seeing, Richard, in that, you know, Arate as a business is probably busier than it's ever been. Um, that's a good indicator that the market is 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 robust and you know and, and the and the I guess the economy of Australia um, is actually doing a pretty good job, maybe even doing a better job of shaking this virus off than than, <laughs> than we are. Mm. It is interesting. You know, I, I started Arate on the 1st of February 2009. And, of course, no sooner did I started Arate, then this huge thing came along called the GFC. Yeah. And people went, oh, my God, the GFC, the world's going to end, everything after the world's going to end, Australia's going to be decimated. And, uh, of course, literally within, you know, a few months um, and no more than a few months, you know, the Australian market uh, uh, rebounded very strongly. And, uh, you know, at the time they said, well, Australia's very lucky. They've got all these resources in the ground. And, you know, it's a fact that we've got this mining industry that really sort of kept us out of a recession. And then, uh, you know, 2012, we were recruiting almost exclusively in the mining industry. And 2012 into 2013, the mining industry, you know, went into a, uh, a downturn and everyone's, oh, the world's going to end, the world's going to end. And, you know, that, that sort of kind of righted itself and started to improve pretty quickly. And, and now COVID, I mean, if you think about it, as much as I'm sure, for, especially for the people in Melbourne, it's been a pretty horrible five months. You know, it's been five months and... Uh, you turn on the news and they say, oh, you know, young people will never, ever get a job or, you know, just some of these sort of headlines. And yet in Melbourne, as Rosh, I'm sure you can attest to, we've never been busier. You know, we've recruit, been recruiting so many roles in Melbourne. Um, and then you look at Australia and you go, well, why are we so fortunate? Well, because we, we're a big island a long way from anybody else. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the, the tyranny of distance has become uh, a huge advantage. Right. So, you know, we kind of uh, stumbled our way through the GFC by having all this stuff underground. We've now stumbled our way through uh, coronavirus by basically being able to close our borders. So we've been, you know, bloody lucky, right? But, um, yeah, I think, yeah, as you say, it's an ideal opportunity for people to look at their career and say, 
knowing that um, this has been my experience, how can I create actually, you know, the life, the career that I would love, whether that's moving into a new space within technology or moving outside of the industry. And, and what about on the other side of the coin, you know, as you say, these employers are starting to have some green shoots of recovery and um, reinvest in, you know, their teams and in technologies and so on. Um, and they come to you and say, oh, Ross, you know, what's the market like? And, uh, uh, you know, what's access to talent like? What would you say to them? Well, I think access to talent is is pretty good. Where where the market is where the market is is still hot is around um, around work process. You know um, the whole work from home. How does everybody? How does that all work? A lot of people, a lot of companies, as I'm sure you'll know, will have put in. Uh, you know, they've gone, they've just gone and grabbed the products. They've grabbed Zoom, they've grabbed this, they've grabbed whatever else, Slack and all those things. And and, and, and now they're starting to think about, well, how should we run this, right? And how should our workforce interact? So workforce collaboration is still, you know, really, really big. Um, the whole area of, of, of data and what we do with big data analytics and artificial intelligence a lot of that has been turned off you know during the covid times because mm. people have just been keeping the lights on right mm. um so so those switches are, are coming back on and of course you would have seen um a lot of news around cyber security um you know a number of businesses being caught short um by ransom attacks um and you know having to respond to that uh, and and so now you know i think because of covid um and because of those people are starting to take business continuity actually a little bit seriously mm -hmm. um and and starting to roll those things out um you know so and, and some other things around data privacy that was always kind of there um, the the ethics that goes along with artificial intelligence gaining a lot of gaining a lot of activity um, in in the marketplace and, and the need to be able to explain uh, the results of artificial intelligence and how that all works with with humans together you know I think those are the key sort of trends probably moving forward over the next 12 months or so Mm -hmm. So, uh, are you concerned about zero point singularity? Oh, uh, look, you know, this not really. Um, you know, those, those singularities just mean that you that you can't predict the future based on the past. And um, so, you're not, you're not worried about the uh, the computers taking over the world and human beings being made redundant. Um, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly areas for that. Um, you know, uh, Karl Marx said that um, every every machine is a, is a competitor for, for humankind, and mm -hmm. he wasn't wrong. Um, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of lip service paid to um, the idea that that automation allows people to move into higher cerebral activities. Mm -hmm. Um, which is all well and fine, um, except for 
what do you do to, with those folks who aren't well adapted to those higher cerebral activities, right? So um, th there, there are real there are real social issues there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, um, that that as a country, uh, as a as an industry, um, we need to do a lot more to address those. Mm. Definitely, but it starts with it starts with um, it does start with with ethics, and it does start with um, explainability of, of how these you know how these algorithms work and and what that means to you know to the normal person on the street, and how people can work together with robots, whether they be physical ones or whether they be virtual ones. That's that's where it starts. And once we sort of wrap our heads around that, probably a little bit more over the next few years, then we'll be, we will need to address these social issues um, that automation is, is going to bring us. And so, Ross, what do you think if you look towards the future of the technology space in particular in Australia, you know, what, what excites you? What, do you? what do you see coming down the, the, the pipe? You go, oh, that's going to be fantastic in terms of... Uh, either positioning Australia or with greater advantage or, or what have you? Yeah, so, um, well, obviously, for example, COVID gives us a great, a great advantage. It means, that, it means that Australia is an, a proven safe place to innovate, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we don't have to wait for... America, um, we don't have to wait for Europe, we don't have to wait for, for Asia uh, to provide those innovations. We're seeing more and more um, venture capital, uh, private equity being deployed here in Australia, both by Australian companies and by overseas companies around innovation in technology. We're seeing that across you know, the medical, the biotech space, the IT space, everywhere, right? We have a huge opportunity here in this country uh, to run a very robust um, startup to, you know, to, to early public company innovation um, incubation environment because we've proven that we're a safe pair of hands, right? Mm, mm. Thing. Why would you want to, why would you want to set up your startup in Silicon Valley, you know, in, in the U S where there's a couple of hundred thousand cases a day. Why wouldn't you want to set that up on the Gold Coast, for example, mm. or in Ballarat, for example, or in, you know, um, the central coast of New South Wales, for example. Um, and, and we've got the we've got the capital um, environment here to do it. Um, we should just be doing so much more of it. And do you think Australia is doing a good job in attracting that talent here? Uh, we're doing not a bad job. I think our um, I think our industry um, our industry bodies like the AIAI. Um, do a reasonable job of lobbying government uh, along those lines. But from my perspective, I, I, I just love to see, you know, our governments um, 
really investing in innovation at that higher level a lot more. We need to get Steve Baxter to go out and champion it, don't we? Like he did when he was the uh, Queensland entrepreneur in residence. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, down at the time, he and uh, he was taking you know these young tech startup you know, wannabes uh, on uh, trips to Silicon Valley to check out what's going on over there. And and uh, but I don't know where all that is. If you look at, for example, if you look at like, like what Antler Antler Capital does in uh, in Sydney. Mm. They have that um, entrepreneur trainee program. Uh, several people who have worked for me over the years have, have been on that program. I think a couple of them went through the last one. Um, and they both uh, got founding roles in, in new startups, which are through their first rounds of funding already. Mm. So, you know, the, the programs, programs are coming um the 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 infrastructure around them is coming um i think a little bit more you know government help along those lines would uh would be great for the great for the industry and great for australia Mm. well i actually woke up this morning i'd had a dream about inventing an app that i'm quite excited about so i talked to you about it offline russ i think it might turn us into multi-squillionaires okay <laughs> and so, Ross, uh, just to sort of wind this conversation up, anybody who's spoken to Ross would uh, see he has this amazing collection of cars behind him, which is obviously a bit of a, you know, a hobby of yours. Tell us a bit about that, Ross. Yeah, so I, it started when I was just uh, a kid. My, my dad started <coughs> collecting, I think, in 1955. Started collecting um, matchbox models of yesteryear, they were called. And right. when I when I moved overseas, I, I realised that um, you know that staying connected to my dad, particularly, was a difficult thing to do. Um, you know what men are like in uh, sharing emotions and all that sort of stuff. So um, I thought. Starting my own part of a of a of a, car, a model car collection was a good way to connect, and and we certainly did that over, over the years. Um, what you see behind me is just my part of the collection. There's a good num. There's a good two hundred odd uh, still at still at my at my mother's place. Um, all of it together, of course, is uh, curated on a, on a website. Uh, so you know, so that people. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when you're when you're a nerd, you just got to be a nerd, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And is your dad still around? Um, no, he died. Um, he died in May of last year. Right. Um, so he made it. He 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 managed to make it. He died exactly on his sixty-second wedding anniversary. Oh wow! He was very determined to make it to that day. Right. And he did, but um, you know that was that was as far as he got. Right. Well, I'll let you grab a glass of water because you sound like you you need a, yeah, you need a drink. Uh, my dad, uh, he died about ten years ago, and he was a computer game nut. Right. He was the head of the pharmacy department at UQ. 
and they used to call her the mad professor and people would walk into the gaming shops back in the day they go oh i don't know how to get through this special part in this dungeon and blah blah they say oh you've got to ring professor triggs and uh so um it's funny what boys do to try and engage with their dads. So my dad, prior to dying, was madly into this game called World of Warcraft. Not sure. And, uh, and he was like a dungeon leader, blah, 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 guild master or whatever. So I had to play this stupid game <laughs> with my dad. And uh, But, uh, you know, I'm not a computer game person at all. But it's nice to have something, you know, that you can relate to your dad about. Because yeah. uh, as you say, uh, I don't think I had a emotional heart sort of conversation ever with my dad uh he was he was very english and that wasn't his thing my dad was in the uh australian army reserve for 35 years he's a regimental sergeant major and um actually got awarded an mbe for his efforts so oh, wow. but uh that meant that, yeah there wasn't so much of an emotional connection more like um you know Orders, orders were given and and, and followed. <laughs> Fair enough. And other than uh, collecting cars, what else do you? What else does Ross like to do when he's not working? Well, I'm the uh, I'm, I'm the cook of the house mm-hmm. uh, of the uh, of the family now. So uh, I've, I've loved cooking for ages. Cook all sorts of stuff from French, in Italian, Japanese. You, you know, you name it. Asian stuff, whatever. Um, so love to cook, love to uh, listen to some fairly heavy rock music, as, mm. as you know. Um, and um, I love my driving my BMW M3 convertible and going out on club drives with the the, the Queensland BMW Club, which we we did on the weekend. We went to a a new motor museum down in uh, down the Gold Coast together. Okay, yeah. Worth the trip? Very much worth the trip, yeah. It's just, just down the road at Coomera. Right. Um, of course, we took the most circuitous route on earth to get to Coomera, as, as you do when you're in a car club. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, very much worth the trip. And um, and uh, all my three adult children, uh, I guess because they've lived in much more cosmopolitan cities than, than Brisbane, they've all decided over the years to move to Melbourne. So they all live in Melbourne. Right. Means we um, do travel a lot down down there and just travel in general. I mean, <clears throat> we're, we're in planning for a, a trip in a couple of years' time to, to get back to Canada and... Uh, and um, you know maybe 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 see some polar bears and things like that. So uh, traveling around and photography are always top of the list as well. Uh-huh. And as a car man, uh, what what's your dream car? If money was no object within reason, you know, uh, what would you, what would you drive? Nineteen fifty six Ferrari four ten Super America. Uh huh. The prettiest car I've ever seen. Oh really? And what about a new car? What did what would your new car? New be? car these days? Well, uh, the new Ferrari Roma that's just come out is is very aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> um, and um, I, I do like my aesthetics. But um, probably I would be hard pushed uh, not not to spend the money on a on a, on a Aston Martin DBS Superleggera. Right. 
Uh, you're a bit too big to get into a Ferrari, though, aren't you? Not these days. Um, okay. I, I have tried to squeeze myself into a 308, which which Magnum PI used to, you know, yeah. before. Yeah. And they must have modified that car for him to get his legs in under the steering wheel because right. you can't. Uh-huh. But they are um, they are more um, them yeah they're more accommodating these days, Richard. Right, a friend of mine's got an Aston Martin DB7, and I, I must admit uh, I was so underwhelmed when I went in it. I was expecting it to be magnificent, but mine would be a uh, a uh, Bentley Continental GT. Oh, very nice. That's very more nice. A, that's more of a family wagon. Yes. More, more, more. More, more of a lounge chair on steroids. Exactly. I like I like my comfort. But anyway, Ross, I think that's been a wonderful conversation. So, of course, anybody who's listening and who'd like to connect with Ross, you can do that through LinkedIn or you can do it through Arato's website. Uh, uh, I'd have to say it's a delight to have you on the team, Ross. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our relationship as it's it's uh, growing. And uh, I can say, you know, to anybody listening, Ross is a... A unique individual in that he is a propeller head that's also fun and interesting and uh, can make conversations so uh so definitely uh reach out to ross and uh we look forward to um you know having hopefully a long and fruitful relationship together and uh helping all of our clients and candidates and you know various stakeholders with arate to all achieve our full potential anyway thanks again ross have a fantastic afternoon thanks mate bye-bye okay Thank you for joining us on the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like a free copy of Richard Triggs' book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, How to Find and Win Your Next Senior Executive Role, please visit uncovertheHiddenJobMarket.com to register your details. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.